and welcome to Development Heaven. I am your best friend, uh, Vincent Bernard Marinelli. And I am your bookworm, Glenn Cagle. It's a design podcast where the two of us talk about development hell and all the changes your favorite piece of media go through. Uh, this week we are doing a fan-submitted suggestion, uh, but first I want to address the fact that, Glenn, last week we established you are in prison. Um, yes. Well, I'm, what? Huh? I'm calling you through the prison phone. The prison phone, yes. Uh, so if you want to look to your left, you know, at the window, I'm... I'm waving. Yeah, I've, I've fogged up the glass on your, uh, I've fogged, and I've written, I've drawn a little penis on it. That's cute. So anyway, I'm busting you out. Uh, no need to make a, like a bit, whole big thing about it, but just, okay. you know, just, so come with me. Don't tell anybody, yeah. Yeah. We'll be really um, quiet. Are you, did you break the glass? Like, how am I, what, what Um, I bent the, you know, the metal bars. Yeah. You know, those big metal bars, hands. I bent them. So big. And now and you can crawl through. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna, uh, or or alternatively, through the mm-hmm. prison phone, you could email me a wrench, like the email the wrench to space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, I don't know what I'll do with the wrench. You can I, bend the bars. I, now I have one. I'll bend the bars yeah. with the wrench. All right, cool. The face tattoos are interesting. Can we? <laughs> should we talk about that? Um. Yeah, I mean, I just met a really nice guy. Really, he's a tattoo artist in in prison, and he, you know, gave me a good deal. It'll it'll cause something of an issue for branding. I think we might have to update our our art, but we'll we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, right? All right, yeah. Uh, so when it anyway, becomes an issue, we're running from the cops now for the rest of the episode. For the That's rest of canon. our lives, I brought my microphone and your microphone, so uh, we're, so let's we're start. running with uh, lapel mics. Mm. And so if you hear any like flapping, that's just well, they won't hear that because we're really good at editing. That, that's just our wings as we take off. <laughs> We have nothing to lose but our t- chains, Tavarish. Well, Glenn, this week it's a, a fan-submitted topic. So we are doing like book adaptations, book-to-film adaptations, and that was suggested by Joseph uh, Parmesan on our Discord. So if you have any ideas that you want us to cover, you know, reach out to us. Our Discord is linked. You know, you could email us, tweet us, whatever. So thank you to uh, Joseph. Thanks, Joe. I love you. <laughs> we have a lot of good fan topics, I think. Well, yeah, a lot of people want us to talk about books, so we'll 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 yeah we'll try to get to all of them. Uh, a lot of people Glenn, seem to latch onto that one. Yeah, you have had nothing but time to come up with who goes first this week. So, um, so you know, like when you uh, have a book. <laughs> I, yes, I do that. I'm gonna get a book off my bookshelf, okay. and then I want. I'm going to um, drop it open right over here, and uh, you're going to say a number. Oh, Price is Right rules? So price like is the page right, it lands yeah. on? Whoever okay, gets closest without going higher. Right, 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 right. Okay. All right. I've got a 100% legitimate and real book right here. You can hear it. Hear it. Um, <laughs> should I tell you how many pages the book has so at least we're in the same ballpark? Or, uh, uh, yes. Okay, the book has exactly... And it's real poetic. This is the uh, Game Maker's Companion, which I've talked about on the show before. Uh, it has 415 pages. Okay. I will say 207. All right. I am going to go 289. Mm. All right. Ready? Yeah. I'm dropping. Oh, it didn't even open. <laughs> 
Look at that. It opened to 191. So, we wait, we both lose we then. We both went over. Well, you went the highest, so I guess... Um, I haven't seen the prices right in a while. You you should go first. All right, because you first. went you went the ballsiest. I went the yeah something like that. Okay. All right. Well, uh, today I'm talking about the uh, well. I'll just go out and say it: the world's best selling science fiction novel. Oh yeah. Uh, Dune. By, oh okay, cool. By Frank Herbert. Yep. It's it's, it's Herbert, right? It's not Herbert. Um, haven't looked it up. It spell it spells like Herbert. Yeah, I'm gonna say Herbert. If I'm a stupid American, then just uh, use a um, text to speech to put Herbert over every time that I said Herbert. I promise I will. Okay. Um, he wrote it in 1963, uh, mm-hmm. quite a ways ago. But um, one of the reasons that it's the best-selling science fiction novels of all time is because it was sort of uh, it happened right at the beginning of that of a sort of like uh, ecological social change movement actually earth day was founded let me look up the date for this okay uh earth day was hey, how's founded. he doing how's uh how's old herbie doing is he still kicking it he, no he's dead all right earth day in uh 1970 is when the first earth day was celebrated and um what's the name of the other one uh arbor day no not arbor day no no not another holiday it was another book oh. that was published around the same time silent spring that was uh, it was uh, 1962 by Rachel Carson, and it was kind of cited as like uh, paving the way for ecology and science fiction. Oh, okay, that's cool. yeah. Um, so sort of that like that was the first time the public was kind of looking at like this is where our society is going to go if we don't protect the environment, hmm. which is interesting because that's not really what Dune's about, but it is no. something that Herbert focused on because he was an ecologist. He was mm-hmm. a, not only an author but an ecologist himself. Um, he studied um, dry ecology, basically the ecology of deserts, and how you can keep doing. And, and like he uh, spent a lot of time in, um, you know, out west in the United States, uh, studying the sand dunes and how wow. they move and change, and like can literally swallow people up underneath uh-huh. under the ground. Um, he actually spent five years doing research on the sand dunes and writing the novel in total. Damn, I, d- I never yeah. knew that. That's but. I'm reading Dune right now. That makes a lot of sense. Like he 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 writes as though he were a yeah an ecologist. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I didn't expect to find that out about him either, but um, <laughs> I think it uh, it's pretty cool. Then I don't know if you read the dedication in the front of the book, but it's actually dedicated to all the dry ecologists and like he's like, man, y'all got a tough job. Yeah. <laughs> like basically, <laughs> is what he says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, interestingly enough, the book was uh, published uh, originally as separate episodes in the Analog man- Magazine, and not as a, really? a cohesive novel. Yeah, which is weird. Weird, right? It's a really long novel. That must have been a long-running magazine. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. People seem to like it enough. They eventually published it as a novel. So there you go. Um, but we're talking about the specifically the film adaptations, right? Right. The David Lynch one. David Lynch one happened in 1984. There was a mm-hmm. 2000 series on sci-fi and uh, a few other failed attempts at making uh, an adaptation. And then finally, the upcoming 2020 uh, Villa, Dennis uh, Villeneuve um, adaptation. We assume 2020. We assume. That he says, I mean, it's scheduled to be released in 2020. Yeah. As of the recording of this, we don't know. 
of course, there have been a few computer games and board games. Actually, get this. This is a little fun fact mm-hmm. that is really shocking to me. Dune 2, the 1992 RTS video game, is apparently one of the most influential RTSs of all time. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that, and I, which is why I wrote apparently in my notes. But upon doing more research on it, it turns out that uh, Dune 2 actually set the precedent for how um, RTSs would work. It's like sort of the Dune 2 formula is what all other rts's have been using so sort of like how the banjo kazooie well sort of like how the banjo kazooie format is how all other collectathons go and sort of like mario is kind of like set the precedent for platformers i guess Mm -hmm. uh dune 2 set the precedent for uh the controls and the and the gameplay flow the um and of uh rts's real-time strategy games so yeah, uh, what was it? Warcraft was the one that came like right after it. The, uh, right. Okay. Uh, not World of, but the Warcraft series that eventually <laughs> gave way to the universe of World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, wild. You learn something new every day, I guess. Yeah. Was the game uh, so? Especially watching this show. The game was called Dune Two. Well, there was also Dune One, but apparently it wasn't uh, an RTS or it didn't okay. have all the same. It wasn't nearly as polished. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it had a subtitle in other things, but eventually just became known as Dune 2. Hmm. Yeah, kind of wild. Oh, hey, do you want to know something really weird? The, okay. The uh, company that originally published the novel like on its own as a standalone novel rather than mm-hmm. a, a magazine was yep. uh, called Chilton Books. And up until that point, they had only ever published auto repair manuals. Hmm... And this novel mm-hmm. is the best-selling science fiction novel of all time. <laughs> it was a gamble. Yeah. It was a gamble. That's it, so weird, man. But it like, paid off. Dude. Where's the connection? <laughs> None. Cause, Do you like, think the guy was just a fan of the magazine? I, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it'd be interesting to find out if Herbert approached them or if they approached Herbert about this. Right, yeah. Because if so... Why did you pick them? <laughs> yeah. Maybe he just knew the guys that worked there. Maybe he repaired a lot of automotive vehicles. Maybe. <laughs> Jack of all trades, I guess. Hmm. Um, yeah. Let's talk about some films. Okay. That's what we're here for, right? Yeah. Film adaptations. So That's the what first the time title huh, says. Yeah, something like that. Uh, so the first time uh, this book was ever going to get turned into a film was uh, in 1971, which was. Um, uh, math eight years after uh the book was written mm-hmm. the book was published um it was a company called Appjack international that got the rights for it um interestingly enough the <laughs> the head of this company is a guy by the name of ap jacobs so it's literally just like his first initials and the first three letters of his last name Appjack. well not everybody can be as good at naming things as us as, i guess as right? lucas films yeah, yeah. <laughs> um Anyway, uh, Jacobs, he was busy. He was actually doing Planet of the Apes 2 at the time. So okay. uh, he got the rights for Doom, but he put it on the back burner because he wanted to, he wanted apes to do well. Um, and so about a year later, they started uh, looking into it. He, he wanted a guy named David Lean to direct it. Um, that's the guy that directed Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, uh, all right. Yeah, this Old guy's school. got like seven films in the British Film Institute's top 100, three of which right. are in the top five. Okay. So I can see why he wanted him, but obviously, but I, 
I have to assume that this guy had no idea who uh, Apjack was, or or didn't yeah. even, or didn't care because he immediately turned down the offer. I mean, directors usually don't want to touch, at least in the past, wouldn't want to touch something like Dune. Yeah, that makes sense. It ruined his perfect record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, they got some other directors, and then they were planned on shooting, uh, beginning the shooting in 1974, uh, which, as you know, is three years after it started, so already delayed. Yeah. Uh, but Jacobs actually died in 1973. Hmm. So I guess they didn't just didn't want to proceed without him. I don't know. Um, so they just stopped, halted production. Yeah, in I mean, if 19... he was, huh? If he was the driving force, then yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess I don't know. I I feel like if you had a good enough director or, or the right director, then they would be yeah. passionate enough to keep working on it. But um, sure, yeah, I don't know. Um. In, 19, in December of 1974, a French consortium purchased the rights. So they got this guy named uh, Alejandro Hodorowsky to direct it. Uh, he hadn't done anything that I really recognized, but it was a lot more like um, experimental stuff. Mm. Um, for the, uh, for example, he wanted to make Dune a 10-hour feature film starring his own son, Brontus. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, he can't. also cast... Huh? You can't, I mean... If you're going to do that, you can't be so obvious about it, right? Yeah, it's pretty bad. He also uh, he also cast Salvador Dali and Mick Jagger. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, an all-star cast over here. Yeah, famously uh, good actors. Right. <laughs> Dali demanded $100,000 an hour. This guy's, like, I, I don't... The, the surrealist artist, not even an actor, right. is demanding $100,000 an hour, and Hodorowsky is just like, yeah, okay. I mean, he probably has the chops. You don't know. I guess. But uh, but get this. He planned to film, get all of his filming done in one hour. He was like, yeah, we can pay you $100,000 an hour, but we're going to do it all your filming in one hour. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, that's sneaky. Sneaky, sneaky. And then yeah. he was like, yeah, for all the other scenes, for this, all the scenes we can't get done in that one hour, we'll just use a mannequin. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So, that sounds like it would have been a really good movie. Already cursed. I would have really liked to see that, I think. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, it's rough out there. It's it's really rough. Hmm. Um, yeah, all the music was right in the same vein. It was all like experimental pro- and prog rock uh, uh-huh. by Blant. And he's one of the bands. It was one of, it, it was one of those bands that's like experimental prog rock. With, but like every single member of the band has like a classic, classically trained background. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, they also got um, H.R. Giger to do uh, to join the pre-production unit. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah, it would have been really sick, right? Had Alien come out at this point? No, not yet. This wow. was uh, all right. Uh, this was in 1974. Damn. Um, so yeah, this would have been like probably Giger's big burst onto this onto the <laughs> film scene. Yeah. Um, which you know eventually it was Alien that propelled them into the public light that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so according to Giger, um, so they've got, they've got this like, uh, what is it? Motley crew of like, mm-hmm. just, you know, all the best, um, experimental artists out there working together. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> what well, did Dali, go wrong? Uh, Dali was apparently, um, all for this guy named Franco that was, um, starting a rebellion in um or i I don't know in charge of rebellion in um spain oh and it was and giger uh, giger said in an interview that dolly was invited to leave 
because oh, wow. of his his pro Franco statements. Huh. Um. Yeah, I don't I don't really know much about any of that, but um, they just can't seem to do anything right, can they? No, no um, kidding. Uh. So you know, by nineteen seventy six, they've been working on this for like two years. Um. Herbert flies over to Europe, the the author, and he wants to check up on them. Right. He finds mm-hmm. out that two million dollars of their nine point five million dollar budget had already um, been spent in just the pre-production. Oh no! It's been two years, and, and they I don't haven't think, shot anything. They, they haven't shot anything. They don't have a script. Or oh they no! Barely have a script. <laughs> they just they, have a bunch of artists sitting around in a circle and breathing into about, each other's mouths. Yeah. How how cool would it be if? Like... <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, they, they're just having they, fun let them have fun honestly yeah we're spending two million dollars to have fun uh this french consortium is probably just like freaking out at this point yeah so when they actually when they finally did get a script turned out mm-hmm. it was uh 14 hours long oh man that's even longer than he said it would be <laughs> yeah. he's like i'm gonna keep it down to 10 hours this time guys <laughs> i'm really trying i really am <laughs> But if we lose one minute of this big old worm, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> Herbert said in an interview that the uh, the script was the size of a phone book. <laughs> <laughs> and to prove his point, he, he ripped that entire phone book in half to show his dominance. Dude, this guy was swole. So, do you, have, you know um, Dan O'Bannon? Have you ever heard of him? No. No. Uh... Uh, he's the guy that was in charge of special effects on the Dune movie, um, mm-hmm. and once they finally decided that it was time to quit, um, <laughs> after Herbert, I don't know if Herbert shut him down or if Herbert was just kind of like the nail in the coffin that made them realize that this is just not going to happen. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, Dan O'Bannon, poor guy, went to a psychiatric hospital uh, right after production failed. Um, he. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Did he end up doing really anything? Sad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. He he was um, after he was released from the psychi- psychiatric psychiatric hospital. He worked on uh, thirteen different scripts. Okay. Um, not all at once. I don't think. Maybe. <laughs> um, but the last of which became Alien. Okay. Well. Yeah. So there I mean, it is. I guess that's the creative process. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, that flopped. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Yeah. Uh, not Alien, but the Dune, the original Dune. Right, right. Um, so in 1976, uh, Dino De Laurentiis got the rights uh, from the same film consortium. They still got the rights, uh, and they've blown they've blown two million on these artists just sitting around blowing Fathing. smoke. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so Dino De Laurentiis, um, a pretty well established director at the point uh, at that point, I'm pretty sure. No, no, he's not a director. He's a producer. Mm. A pretty well-established producer at that point got the rights, um, and he actually uh, decided he was going to do it right this time, and he commissioned Her- uh, Herbert to write a screenplay. Okay, because you know took that took that fourteen-hour screenplay and uh, threw it in the trash. Threw it in a big old dumpster right, fire, right in the bloody bin, might. Yeah, um, yeah, um, never to be seen again. Never to see the light of day. That's kind of a shame. I mean, I wouldn't like to read it, but but I'd like to hate to read it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It might. I mean, maybe it's still around. Maybe you can find a copy. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so Herbert um, 
wrote a screenplay. It was 175 pages long, which equates to about three hours. You know, better I guess than yeah, the that's 14 not, hour screenplay. That's not too off from a uh, from movie scripts usually. I mean, that's I mean, um, well, this was years before Lord of the Rings, but you know, it <laughs> each one of them came in at three hours long. So yeah, well, uh, no, no, the uh, scripts are longer, and then they get cut down. They shoot all the scenes, and then they'll. Oh, cut out certain scenes. Cut out the the what you know the chaff. Okay, so you would say that a three hours three hour script is like a normal size. Yeah, it's fine. You know, like um the Batman v Superman script was like five hours long. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> no wonder that movie sucked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like editing our podcast. It's like three hours longer than it needs to be, and then we get the we get just the, the funny parts. The just the, yeah. All right. So um, uh, good old Dino. Mm-hmm. Uh, none other than the one and only Ridley Scott to direct this one. Okay. Uh, was Which, this after, uh, before or after Alien? This was right after Alien. Huh. All right. So um, Alien had just finished. Ridley Scott riding that high. Um, <laughs> they got him, Giger, and O'Bannon, the whole Alien team. Okay. Just to come on over yeah. and uh, and start working on Alien or uh, on I Dune. Mean, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Because um, Alien was wildly successful, doing the novel wildly wildly successful. Again, what yeah, could, what go, could wrong? go wrong? <laughs> um, they got this guy named. Uh, I think they actually trashed the Herbert screenplay for some reason. I mean, uh-huh. they, I mean, writing a screenplay and writing a book are two different things. And I, yeah, I, it'd be great if you could, but I don't. I don't think that's. I think that's sort of a pipe dream uh, to get the author to write the screenplay. Uh, so they got this guy named Rudy Wurlitzer to do it. I don't. I wasn't really familiar with anything else that he did, but apparently his screenplay was good. Um, he actually went, uh, wanted him and Scott had decided to split the movie into or the novel into two movies, which seems like a good uh, idea. I mean, the, you said it yourself. The novel is pretty long. Yeah. Um, and they couldn't, cover, they couldn't seem to get it down to, uh, a, you know, a good a good length uh, originally. Mm-hmm. So you know, instead of one fourteen hour movie, we'll have two seven hour movies. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. We're closer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but so this was just a classic case of pre-production took too long, about seven months. So mm-hmm. um, Scott uh, eventually decided that it was just in his best interest to move on to Blade Runner. And so Dune, once again, did not make it to the silver screen. It's on the back burner. It's on, like, something. It's back in the shelf. Back in the shelf, yeah. Like you they get kicked the, it you underneath get, the fridge. They dropped yeah, it on the floor and go. kicked it underneath the fridge. Actually, that's pretty good. That's a good analogy. <laughs> um, the artist dropped it on the floor, and then Ridley Scott was like, he tried to salvage it, so he kicked it. In. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, those film rights that Appjack International had purchased so, so long ago uh, were about to expire in mm-hmm. 1981. Um, but... Ni- uh, uh, Dino De Laurentiis renegotiated the contract so now he has the film rights and also uh, the rights to any sequels any potential sequels because by this point uh, Herbert and his son have been writing and, and this other guy yeah uh, do you know his name because I don't No, but I do know that there are Dune sequels yeah not re- the, uh, actually his son wrote a lot of the sequels uh, Kevin okay. J. Anderson hmm. um, I is that. the other guy yeah right. so um, by this point there are other Dune sequels prequels there's a whole universe um, and so De Laurentiis is like, give me that. Uh, so he gets the rights for all of it. And, uh, okay, get this. Uh, honestly, probably the best part of this whole thing, his daughter, Rafaela, Rafaela De Laurentiis, goes to see Elephant Man in the theaters. 
Uh-huh. Uh, and she's like, this David Lynch guy? <laughs> so good. So good. He has to direct Dune. Gotta get he, him. Dad, daddy, dad, <laughs> dad. <laughs> David Lynch needs to direct Dune. Or I'm walking out. Or I'm walking out of this father-daughter right relationship that, that we have. <laughs> I will no longer be your daughter. I don't know why. So what 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 time period is this? Like this is 1981. Just about okay, because this is just around when I believe George Lucas also wanted David Lynch for the last Star Wars yeah. film as well. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Lynch had just also been offered to do Return of the Jedi, and yeah. um, I mean, I guess I guess the Elephant Man was really good. I've never seen it. <laughs> I but have. I, it's not. That's not yeah. like Star Wars at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lynch had no interest in doing anything sci-fi. He had never yeah. even read Dune. He didn't know the story. He didn't know anything about it. But he was like, yeah, I'll do Dune. Yeah, uh, apparently Lynch actually created a total of seven drafts before starting final production, or starting or wow. starting production at all. I, I don't know how a single film could be so cursed. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like... Yeah. This is, this is already, like... Uh, this is already over 20 years in the making. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Um, so, you know, they actually went through with it this time. They got Toto to do the music for it. So, I mean, right, they yeah. did something right, I guess. And also, got, wasn't Sting, Sting in the was movie? In it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they can't help themselves. They really can't. Um, first you got Salvador Dali, now you got Sting. I don't know, man. And who else do you, like, Michael Jackson? No. Who else huh? do you say it was? Oh, Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger, that's what it was, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. Um... But yeah, so they, they, they finished the film this time. Um, the guy, actually the star, this was his like debut movie. I don't know his mm-hmm. name, but like this is the star's debut in the big silver screen. And um, But the rest of the cast was kind of an all-star cast. So. Um, didn't, of didn't Sting work out. and others. <laughs> At all. Um, yeah. It didn't work out though, uh, uh-huh. because the movie, was the budget was $40 million. It only made 30.9. Oh man! Yeah, just short. Uh, well, if well, you, if you, you can call nine point nine, if you can call nine point one million dollars just short, then uh, I, you also have to double. Usually, you would double the uh, the numbers for marketing, so it. Oof! Yeah, would have cost I didn't even like think about eighty that. million. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, a movie making less than a than, I don't know. Like, I feel like movies make like a hundred million, right? Like, at least. Depends on the movie, really, because the with a, the with amount a $40 million dollar budget. I mean, you yeah, need, the amount of money that a movie makes is directly correlated with the amount of marketing that comes out about it. That makes it. sense, yeah. Uh, and so a more expensive movie, like a Marvel movie, will get a lot more marketing. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah. And well, it so, just depends on like the clout of the company that it's coming from. Yeah. And this was also, Lynch, you also, Lynch Films or whatever, De Laurentiis Films or whatever. So, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but apparently it... Uh, I mean, it crashed at the box office, but um, Herbert mm-hmm. Herbert liked it. I mean, he was he was a he was a big fan. Hey, and you know what? That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Yeah, it's um, a movie just for him. It's his movie. It's his movie. Let's Nobody get... else gets to touch it. <laughs> well, it ain't it ain't Lynch's. He actually denounced it. He disowned the really? film. Really? Yeah. Wow. He disowned the film Harmful. after its release. He said that the producers restrained his artistic control. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so there are actually some cuts out there right now that have Alan Smithy listed as the director. Which is mm. like the go-to, like the the Directors Guild of America. Oh right. Whenever yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah whenever this. a director like di- uh, d- um, disowns a film, they'll put Alan Smithy as the uh, in the credits. 
Um, but we all know, we all know who it really was. There's no <laughs> He can't hide from yeah. us. Um, the critics who saw uh, Dune, the 1980s version, uh, mm. said that it, um, if you hadn't read the book, you wouldn't get the plot because well, they didn't tell oh. you the plot in the movie. Yeah, yeah, um, that would be a problem. Yeah, and uh, they also said that it strayed from the book too much. So <laughs> I don't know. So, I don't know where they land in that like middle ground. That like so it's sort of like really diagram. <laughs> only a movie for Frank Herbert. <laughs> it really is. Because apparently nobody but him would get it. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's rough out there. But uh, <laughs> so what do you know? Um. But in two thousand, they did a thing called um. Frank Frank Herbert's um, it was called Frank Herbert's Dune I think and it was a series a mini series that came out on Sci-Fi Channel oh um, alright I think it did like okay S-C-Y-F-Y yeah, yeah yeah the classic yeah. Sci-Fi yeah the Sci-Fi Channel um, and I think it did alright there I think uh, I think it actually turned out really well hmm. um, I don't have any stats on the ratings or anything like that but I think it, it, it like I think it, it set records actually um, okay I've yeah. I haven't even heard of it Right, yeah, if neither I'm being honest with you. Um, but I, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that was that was two thousands. So, I mean, sci-fi was had, had some traction by then, didn't it? I don't know. Um, so I guess good on them. Um, anyway, so two thousand eight. Fast forward, fast forward through time. Uh, two thousand eight. Paramount Pictures gets the rights to make a Dune film again. All right. Uh, they get Peter Berg to direct it. I didn't recognize anything else that he'd done, um, but he had some films under his belt. So they get they get a nice established director for this one. They get um, uh, so Kevin Meesher, the guy that was in charge of all this, had apparently spent like years trying to get the rights from the Herbert estate. They were just like holding on to it because they didn't want another disaster. Okay. Um, they didn't want them to uh, hire the Sting movies, again. The movies that Peter Berg did are stupid. Anyway. Uh, okay. Sorry, yeah. Cut you off. Um, no, that's fine because I I didn't recognize any of them. So uh, good to know that I'm not missing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, apparently uh, Peter decided to make a more faithful adaptation. Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. So they um, what did they do? But make the same mistake as before. They got uh, Herbert's son. Herbert's passed away by this point. They got Herbert's son. Okay. Uh, Kevin and Kevin J. Anderson, the other guy who had written some Dune sequels, to be right. advisors. They weren't mm-hmm. writing the screenplay this time, which is good. They were just um, advisors. Yeah, so October 2009, Berg leaves the film, saying it wasn't the right thing for him. Uh, they got this new guy named Pierre Morel. Uh, they hired him in 2010, but he quit by November of that y- that year. Wow. Um, I Again, I don't know how this film can be so cursed um mm-hmm. uh, 2011 uh, paramount was like this isn't going too well <laughs> and they just they just kicked it right on right back under that fridge so i don't know i guess that would have been the, the second dune movie but it, it didn't turn out too well um but in 2016 a third attempt um i guess i don't know what are we on like the 18th attempt by this point <laughs> something like that <laughs> yeah uh legendary i have, it, I have huh? uh, notches i have notches carved into my um Desk for every Dune movie. Yeah. yeah. Got notches carved in my lipstick case. Um, <sighs> Come on. <laughs> 2016 Legendary gets the rights to it, and they get uh, David Villeneuve to uh, uh, direct it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canadian Wait, director. Wait, say it again. 
David Villeneuve. Huh. I always said Villeneuve. I w- like because Nueve. <laughs> I always said Villeneuve, <laughs> but I looked up the I looked up the pronunciation and it's Villeneuve. Okay. Villeneuve. All right. Yeah. Uh, and so David Villeneuve uh, will direct it. He directed Sicario and Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So yeah, good movies. Um, and he did Arrival. Yeah, I've never seen that one. Right? I've seen Arrival. Sicario oh. and Blade Runner, and I really enjoyed yeah. them. So um, I'm excited for this guy. I'm excited for this movie. They got Eric Roth to write the screenplay. This guy wrote the the screenplay for Forrest Gump and Benjamin Button. So wow, All right. I don't see the connection, but um, me neither. Him, I don't know. He's good. Uh, they're doing the they're doing the two film thing again. So this one's getting chopped in, into half, which I think is the smart play. That it's a it's yeah. a long book. It's <laughs> it's not like um, it's not like The Hobbit, which got chopped into three films for no reason. Yeah, so I guess good on them. Um, oh, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd did the uh, music in the first, and the, or they were going to do the music for the very first one, where they got all these other okay. like prog rock bands, like ones that you've never mm. heard of. All right, this is bad. Uh, let's move on to no, your thing. No, it's good. Okay, we can talk about my thing. Glenn, I want to Glenn, I want to talk about Ready Player One with you. I've been dying to talk to you about Ready Player One. Me too, Vincent. There's nothing Glenn, remember, nothing that I want more than to speak with you about Ready Player One. Glenn, do you remember Ready Player One? Oh, boy, do I. <laughs> Were we... I was trying to think about this, because I was looking at the numbers, you know, like how the movie did. We're, I'm talking about... Ready Player One was a book uh, written by Ernest Cline that was adapted to a 2018 movie directed by Steven Spielberg. I'm just getting the basics out there. Um, I was directed did... by Steve Spielberg? Oh, yeah. Stevie, oh, Stevie Spiels himself. My favorite. <laughs> no, it's... I mean, it's a sad state of... Well, first off, like, half the references in that movie are his references. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, take that how you will. Were we working at the movie theater when this movie came out? Because I remember... I was looking at the numbers and it was like, uh, you know, it did really well in its first week, but by week two, it slipped behind, um, like the quiet place and yeah. blockers. Remember the movie blockers blockers. Um, it's like, and those movies were, cause I remember I those. Remember, ones, yeah. Those I, were out while we were there. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't remember ready player one being out when we were there. Right. It may have been when we just started. I don't know. Yeah. I guess it doesn't matter. There was a whole there was a whole time when I didn't see it in theater, even though me we were working there and I would have got it free. Uh, yeah. I saw it at um, uh, so I saw it with Philip actually. His his school does like a um, what is it called? Like you know, um, like a like free a, like a like a student student movie. You know, okay. I think you pay like two dollars and you can see like a double feature or something like that at like his high school or his college? His, his college. Okay, and it's just like a fun little thing. Um, and so I go to see those sometimes with them. And one time it was Ready Player One. And um, you know what? You know what? Disappointed, but not surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, it was, I saw it on TV. But the thing was, there was like a period of YouTube for like a couple months when just everything was was dedicated to Ready Player One. It was all just Ready Player One content, mm. like hot takes, hot takes on Ready Player One, or, you know, Ugh, yeah. here's all of the Easter eggs, here's all, uh, oh like, 120, gosh. here's all 300 here's Easter eggs. Every time they said an 80s reference. Yeah, here's every reference to Ready the Player movie? One. Like, if you wanted to show only the, if you were going to show, like, a top 10 list of all the 80s references, you would just play the movie. 
Yeah, dude. I mean, literally, I tried reading the book. Like, I, I gave the first chapter a try in mm-hmm. preparing for this bit. Okay. And I was like, it really, it's like reading through a list of references. Really? It's like so dense. Really? It's, it's... Now, that's that's I'm, interesting because I have friends who like the book. Yeah. But those are also know, the kinds man. of friends who make references and expect See, that's me to the thing. Here's my problem with this book, or this movie, and I will get into its production, I swear, but, like... No, we just want to hate on it for the rest of the show. <laughs> you know, I tried um, I tried reading the book, and I didn't like it, and I tried going through the spark notes, you know, to see, like, oh, you know, let, let me Does at least get, get a sense of the difference of the movie, and it really, it's not that the difference. difference. They change, the difference is they that change the which references. <laughs> they change which references are where or whatever, but, like... It's same premise, and, like, that's my problem with it, because I know in my heart of hearts that this movie is, like, supposed to be for me, okay. but I cannot bring myself to enjoy it. Because you you're, like, you're like a VR guy. Well, well, even more than that, you know, I, I do appreciate popular culture, you know, I, I like straightening making your ass references. Right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, I... Part of me, one of the things I was considering doing instead of um, reading through all the Spark Notes, because even those were incredibly boring, was um, like watching all those old hot take videos from from YouTube back in 2018. But even I didn't want to end up like regurgitating yeah. somebody else's opinion on the yeah, podcast. Like so I was thinking, I was thinking long and hard about like a metaphor for how I feel about um, okay. Ready Player One. Okay, I said so you got something. some like poetry for me. Yeah, I got some absolute poetry so- back in. Back when I was working on the movie theater, and this might, it probably wasn't that first summer where Ready Player One was out, it was probably the year after that, but uh, KFC released something called, like, the Mac and Cheetos, like a Cheeto collab, no, Mac and Cheetos with Burger King, they released some Cheetos collab where it was, like, a chicken sandwich, like a fried KFC fried chicken sandwich dipped in cheese with, like, Cheetos on top, and, like mac and cheese cheetos on the side and cheese chicken nuggets and it's so horrible <laughs> just saying that out loud but it physically hurt me vincent physically hurt to okay. say out of my mouth but it was a hundred percent made for monsters like me you know <laughs> people that would hear that and go yeah aren't you I mean, lactose I doubt- intolerant yes <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing it's like this is an awful thing that they've that they've uh, created, you know. But <laughs> Reared its I can't head. help myself. I, I, you know, it's Denson, do I and so I like ate it anyway, head. and it made me horribly ill. I can't imagine why. And that's that's the best way I could summarize how I feel about Ready Player One because I know that the the corporate overlords that decided that this <laughs> movie needed to be made were like, this is made for. They've this got is made like, for people like Vincent. They've got like steeple fingers and they're like tapping them together. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know this movie affected you so viscerally. I I just I mean me. I we joke about it all the time because it's funny and bad, but uh, I didn't know that it like it hurt you in this way. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to go. You through know. That. You know. I'm sorry, Harry Steve. Potter. I'm sorry, Steven Spielberg betrayed you that way. <laughs> You know, I was about to make a reference to Harry Potter, and then I realized I would just be doing a Ready Player One. Please make a reference to Harry Potter. Well, no, that's okay. it. See, that's a '90s reference, so you're fine. In in Harry Potter, you know the um, the ones, the things that turn into your fear or whatever. Yeah, the Dementors. It's like they're in that box. Yeah. No, is it Dementors that do yes. that? 
I don't yes, even remember. Yes, they are called Dementors. They, anyway, they turn into your fear. Uh, I feel like if a Dementor saw inside of my psyche and saw what my greatest fear was, it would be the film Ready Player One, and that's why that movie exists. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go the rest of the movie without referencing pop culture, because I don't want to be Ready Player One anymore. Head empty. No thoughts. <laughs> all right. I'm free of all pop culture. I'm free of all culture. I'm, okay. a, I'm a blank slate at this point. Yeah. What else is new? <laughs> oh, I couldn't. I couldn't, <laughs> I mean, I could not take that. So listen, I was there. Isn't that much of a story behind uh, the creation of Ready Player One? I there was Open like a Screen Rant case. article. Mm-hmm. Your favorite uh, that I thought <laughs> I thought was interesting when I clicked on it. it said uh, why Ready Player One took eight years to make, and it's like. Well, you look at it's it. Like, that's and, how long movies take, idiot. Yeah, that's just you know. <laughs> this year they decided Steven Spielberg should be attached, and at this point they made a script, and at this point they had actors, and that's just a normal movie production. Mm. Anyway, so the book Ready Player One by Ernest Klein was released in 2011. Uh, but what I thought was super interesting about the the development more than anything else was the fact that the film rights to this book were sold in 2010 like a full year before the book even came out what yeah have you heard of this before no so the guy wrote the book intending for it to be turned into a movie exactly but it's it's like worse than that because so i i looked into this because that that wrinkled my brain that absolutely baffled me that people would want to buy the rights to a movie like the movie rights to a book that that like nobody's read yet and nobody knows if it will be successful. I did a little bit of digging. I got a couple examples that are similar to that. Uh, and, and the reason is because like film rights are so competitive now that everybody wants to get it, you know, before other companies buy sure. it. I, makes sense. Whatever. Uh, so a couple of other examples of movies where that has happened are like Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. But the thing about that is that that was Michael Crichton's, like, fifth book. You know, he was a well-established author. Yeah, totally. Uh, Same thing with uh, World War Z, Max Brooks. He had written plenty of other movies or or books before that. People know who Max Brooks is, and they know that they felt confident that um, this new book would be success in movie form. Uh, Also, Hidden Figures by Margaret Lee Shelterly. She had never written anything else before. It was, but like the the book itself is somewhat biographical because she's like the daughter of one of the, like the women that she's writing about, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. I looked into Ernest Klein. The dude like wrote some slam poetry in the '90s, but Ready Player One is his debut novel. Oh my gosh! So, so wait, how wait, did this did, happen? Did the producer were they just buds? Was he like, hey, can you turn my book into a movie? And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. I feel like that has to be part of it, but I also feel like, and this and this really like starts boiling my blood deep down inside, that like his pitch was so good that they had like they felt like they had to take up this movie, and that's the thing because the pitch of this book is like, it's like Second Life VR, but it's just chock full of of, of references, you know, but references. Simulation we're doing has references. been done so well in so many other things, and we're just gonna ruin it. We're just going to do that, but there's like, hey, remember the 80s? We're yeah. going to do a hey, remember the 80s movie. Yeah, and none of the cool none of the cool simulation tropes that you see in anything else. Well, that's not true. They had they did do the scene where they had a guy still in simulation when he thought he was in the real world, and that's that's <laughs> yeah. kind of cool. But 
it, it they didn't last as long and it wasn't no. i don't know it's like they don't i don't think ernest klein cares about that yeah. that's not what his whole scene is and i'm like reading through his like interviews and stuff and he's just like yeah i'm a dork I'm a geek, you know. I like pop culture. Yeah, yeah. I see, like, yeah. here, it, uh, he says that he based the character Wade off of a mix of his geek friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I have... I can totally see that. Like All, yeah. all his... If you look at all the inspiration... I was going to have a segment about, like, how the characters in the show got their... Or in the movie and book got their name. But, like, it's all just, like, yeah, it's, like, my friend. It's, like, my geek friend. Or it's, like, you know, it's from... This one, it's like a reference. Anyway, I just felt like, um, like the that whole thing like with the pitch just tells me that, like, like how out of touch all these these executives are, you know, where they can hear, oh yeah, you know, Funko Pops are hot right now. Let's make a movie that's just entirely Funko it's the Pops Trolls merchandise. Movie, but it's Funko Pops instead. <laughs> yeah, um. totally. Anyway, I will continue to get into uh, uh, how the the film was made. Um, but hey, wait, a lot can I of the... ask this? Yeah. How did all of the characters get like usernames that with no numbers in them, except for Artemis? No, Artemis has a three. Artemis in has it. a three, but none of the other ones do. Were uh, they, like, they did it, and they're like kids, right? Like the the, the Oasis came out before they were kids, right? Before yeah, they were born, something like that. So every all of those users had to have already been taken. No, and you know what? I'll tell you what the like the fact that. What what's his name? Eric Klein, Ernest Klein. I just said it. I have it written the, down. Uh, the author, Ernest Klein. Yeah. yeah. The, the the like it really seems like Ernest Klein has no idea how the internet works, and that's a good example of you know nobody can just get um like one of the characters' name is Shoto, and uh, what's the other one? Daito. Those are just Japanese words, and they're well known Japanese words. They would absolutely be taken already. You yeah. Know? Like uh, and also. As you the shorter go through sword story, out of a Daisho set. There are no furries in Ready Player One. Unfortunately. There's no, like, as far as we can tell, there's no weird sex stuff. He's never been on the internet. If you were to make, I mean, I've played Second Life. I know what this is like. Yeah. And it's and it's not like Ready Player One. It's I'll not, tell you what. It's not, it's not all like 80s. the Oasis. It's not all 80s all the time. No. Um, it isn't. If anything, it's all it's 90s weird sex. all the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, same thing, right? Yeah, same basically. hat. Uh, well, and like they had the in-app purchases, that then then they would deliver something to you in real life, but you spend your in-game money. Like, man, what? I, you know, I kind of wanted to. I was. This is in my notes later, but man, this game sucks, dude. No, it's the worst. I would never it's play this. So game. bad. It's like. <laughs> You know, I, I I get what he's going for, and if the if this exists in a hypothetical world where everybody just cares about '80s references, you know, mm-hmm. I can see it being successful. But if we can talk about the gameplay for a second, the gameplay is okay. Spend real life money to look like, you know, Buckaroo Banzai. Right. Spend your real life money to uh, uh, buy you know a car that looks like the mystery DeLorean. machine from Scooby Doo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just drive to work, and then go to yeah, work. Yeah, he goes and do to work. school in the in the game. <laughs> that sucks. Like, That's a bad game. Like there's, Mi- there's Minecraft Earth, but or uh, what is it? The Minecraft Education Edition. Oh yeah, <laughs> so but still, man, it's like we're like already halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> man, I don't know. Um, but it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, it, and then they have like shooters that you can play, and it's like you're still your avatar, the same avatar you've always been using. So you mm-hmm. know that everyone's avatar would just be a single vertice. Vertex. 
Be- because if the shooters have real life money or real life spendable money, even if it's in game yeah. money, um, involved as the stakes, then everyone's avatar is just going to be as small as possible. <laughs> no, you're right. I was thinking about this too because, like, there's no. If this is an independently owned uh, game that's like, you know, like the internet or whatever, nobody's taking charge of it, where's the moderation, you know? Like, yeah, who's, sure. if you can just create items Dude, and then sell them. it's like Bitcoin. It's like, <laughs> it's Bit- like Bitcoin, you're right. Yeah. But it's like, if um, you can create in-game items that you sell for real money, you know, and then you can just buy the Hadouken from Street Fighter... Mm-hmm. But why wouldn't I just go? Yeah, so I've made a, I've made a. Here it is. Here's my item. It's a button that you can just press, and it kills everyone. And it's one dollar. Right. Yeah. Because nobody can stop me. No, that I don't remember. They actually can make items and sell them. Yeah, I mean that's like uh, the one character. She works as an automotive repair person. Right. For these yeah, she has fake a job. Cars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she has a job, and it's like, what is she doing? Coding. Is yeah, she, it's like, like very unclear. Or is the yeah, physics how the, you... is the physics engine just so like precise that it, they're modeling every single particle in the engine? People are being paid money for goods and services. And so if that is if that's how things work, who's monitoring it? Why can't I just create the best thing, you know? Yeah. For zero dollars, nobody would be able to stop me. It and even matter. if it was, even if it was a perfect simulation, even if they weren't like coding anything, like you had to, you know, you can't, you know what I'm saying? Like even if it, even if they were modeling every single particle, mm-hmm. and you could theoretically, and you have to make things out of materials, then it would be no different than just living in the real world. Yeah, it would be it would be just as dystopian as the real. World. That's the thing, Ernest Klein. If I wanted to dress like Buckaroo Banzai and drive a cool car to my job, I could just do that in real life. Yeah, nobody like most people don't do the high risk, high reward stuff because there are actual real life stakes. Nobody does the fun stuff. Yeah, that, you know what's the point? Of there are consequences too. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I understand that. Like the point of this book is that, like at this point in time, the game is real life and so mm-hmm. everyone's kind of moved in but how did it get there is what is, is kind of where it breaks apart in my opinion yeah i can talk about a couple other like let's talk development about things is there any yeah yeah, yeah. that's what we're but be, just uh i thought something that could be like tangential to our time traveling gamer consultant bit how would you make the oasis a good game you know because it's like oh gosh Okay. It's a good name. I'll I'm give not, him that. It's are we are we doing time travel? Are we trying time traveling into the? No, future? no, no. This is it's not the same thing. We're just let's pitch a better game. Um. Okay. So something that actually has in gameplay, in game purchases, that isn't yeah, just gameplay. That's going good. to work. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm. Uh, it's actually actually this is good because we're hitting on like an important thing, which is like the problem with MMORPGs in general is that they're. Um, they don't have gameplay so often mm-hmm. um there are good ones that do world of warcraft is one that i can think of off the top of my head and that's because but it's a it's a subscription game because they have to keep yeah. adding new content you have to keep paying for it and and oh gosh the people that got addicted to um world of warcraft and and uh, runescape and stuff like that it's pretty scary mm-hmm. <laughs> um i mean you've seen there's like documentaries about second life i don't know that much about second life is that like a vr second? one 
No, it's not VR, but it's, you know, MapleStory and uh, um, World of Warcraft are at least set within a world, whereas... Second uh, Life is like uh, a real life world. Is just okay, so that's life, step and one. You just actually buy a house. Oh, jeez. Okay, yeah. so like that's step one is you have a have a fantastical world that this takes place in. Don't try to make this is the final video game where everyone can play whatever they yeah. want. Try to yeah. just give give it a theme. Less microtransactions because I feel like that's the entire gameplay. Stick of the micro the Oasis. Stick the transactions to aesthetics. And this is this is this is about Ready Player One or or the Oasis. In principle, as long as the only things you can pay for are aesthetics, then you're fine. But we still don't know what the like for gameplay. What if it's just um, you know that VR game that's like you just play board games, tabletop sim. Yeah, tabletop sim. What if it's tabletop sim, but you can play against a battle toad, or you can play against um. You know, Buckaroo Bonsai or what? or Deadpool or whatever. You know, it's like, it's like that's that's the gameplay. But you can make your own skins. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a furry sim. Well, it's something. Okay, so it's people so nothing. so people can't upload their own skins. <laughs> no, 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 no not at all. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure about. I think you should like stick to a um, like a world. Like maybe it's a uh, maybe you could go for the GTA thing where you're like a, a, a like a like a dude. You know. You can, you just like stealing stuff and stuff like that, or mm-hmm. we could go for like the space cowboy. Uh, that's one that I've always wanted to make is like a uh, just like an open world space cowboy adventure, like Firefly or or um, uh, Han Solo. I don't know, whatever. But see, we're back to creating worlds without gameplay. We need no, no. That's what I'm saying. Like you'd have like missions and like things that you do, <laughs> like uh, like like uh, World of Warcraft had dungeons that you would go in and explore with your friends, and then when you and then. Uh, like you would party up with your friends and then go into the dungeon and explore it, and and it would be like any other dungeoning game. Uh, but when you're in the overworld, you can meet everyone. So you know. Well, okay, how about this? Okay, how about this? Just Don't like... have an egg that you need to drive backwards to get. Uh-huh. I feel like I feel like that's step one because <laughs> we, we, we have we have a lot of step ones. We have a lot. This is like yep. step one A B C D. This is like okay. one of the one of the subtitles of step one is if you're gonna have an Easter egg. And it's and all you have to do to find it is drive backwards, and somebody's gonna find it instantly. Yeah, that's the worst one by far. What were the other ones? Uh, one of them is you have to recite all of the lines from the movie War Games, <laughs> um, which a lot of people are just able to do. Also, in this if universe. this is a movie, you can just copy and paste. <laughs> yeah. So that that was actually one of the things that was changed in the book. Um, a lot of the pre-production stuff has to do with like the adaptation making it more visually interesting because a lot of the challenges are just uh play pac-man until you get the 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 glitch part of pac-man mm. you know where it like the 20, the, world ends yeah, yeah, yeah. or 26. reciting all the lines from matthew matthew broderick movies like that those suck um yeah, they're pretty bad. those wouldn't be good to see in movie form like i was saying it's mostly right is- like rights issues that made um the development difficult i, I have why. a couple yeah. examples uh, for example, the, um, the final battle in the movie, you know, there's a, it's, it's the Iron Giant and he's stomping around and he's shooting lasers, even though the whole point of the Iron Giant is that he's not a gun. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. he was supposed to be Ultraman. Uh, in the book, it's Ultraman, like the Japanese okay. um, character. But I think there was like a, there was, it was a rights issue because like Netflix had like a reboot in the works at the same time. So they couldn't uh, nab that. 
in that same vein, they were like negotiating with Warner Brothers because they wanted to use uh, the Close Encounters with the Third Kind like ship, and they couldn't get the rights to that one, even though Spielberg is the director of Close Encounters with the Third Kind. He couldn't get the rights to him. Uh, okay. Which, yeah, is a shame, I think. There is a lot of weird, like, self-referential stuff in uh, in this movie. We've they'll make, they'll make a Ready Player One 2, or Ready Player 2, where they just... Uh, That's the thing, there is a sequel. Ready Player One the whole time. Yeah, the, <laughs> the uh, Ernest Klein is actually working on a sequel, and it will almost certainly be called Ready Player 2. <laughs> well, they can't call it Ready Player 1, 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there are two, there's one more thing I want to talk about with okay. Ready Player One. Uh, the other big change that I found the most interesting was that uh, in the book, there was like a lot to do with Blade Runner. I think there was a, like a whole bit set in the in the world of Blade Runner. But because 2049 was like in the development process as well, at the same time, they weren't allowed to touch it, hmm. like any of that okay. IP. So instead, they went with The Shining. Remember that whole thing about The Shining in the movie? Yeah. Yeah, it was like an abnormally yeah, yeah, they large went to part the... of the movie. <laughs> so that wasn't in the uh, in the book at all and so that's another thing for me because it's like i really like the shining you know mm-hmm. it's my favorite movie and so the fact that this movie that ready player one was like hey remember the shining i'm like yes of course i remember the shining that doesn't mean i'm gonna <laughs> yeah. like you for it yeah 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 something anyway something inter- interesting i thought um with the creation of that because they b- basically they digitally recreated the outlook hotel um and then that's how they were able to get okay. like shots Overlooked. that looked like um that looked like the overlook hotel and uh you know from angles that were never seen in the original movie mm-hmm. they reuse some of the footage but well, then, it's like, a real hotel isn't used... it? yeah like, but it doesn't exist like they in could... that way anymore right but they could have gotten like they 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 could have used that as the as the basis for for rendering it in 3d in like in a i don't i mean they probably they probably did that yeah um the, so but the other right, part of this was um <laughs> well, so the thing was uh, that they worked with the team. Remember that movie, Doctor Sleep? That was like the sequel to The Shining. Yes, they because movies yes, were in production at the same time. They worked with the Doctor Sleep team to like they worked together to create this digital set using oh. Doctor Sleep's practical effects. And they wanted and to. Then, were like, they he, like trying to like? Was it like a like a mutually beneficial thing where they were trying to like help yeah. gain steam for Doctor Sleep? Basi- well, like, get, I don't know about e- that. Get everyone was... excited about the shining before <laughs> Doctor Sleep came out. I don't know. Nobody saw Doctor Sleep, so it obviously didn't work. Um, yeah, but it, it it was more just like I, both of those films. Even though I don't like uh, Ready Player One, I mean, it was faithful to The Shining. You know, like Spielberg was friends with Kubrick. You know, and so they they even like they isolated the film grain from the The Shining, and they like put that mm-hmm. same film grain over. Um, Ready Player One during that segment oh, to make it cool. look more realistic. Yeah, I mean it's. See, that's what that's what it's... cool like that's what a cool VR MMO would be for. I feel like is less mm-hmm. about like this kind of gameplay and more about like you could just make the Aesthetics. world look like 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 if you wanted to like you could just make the world look right. like The Shining with that with that film grain. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't know if that would be. But that's not really an MMO. That's more of like just like a VR like experience with your friends kind of thing. Right, and those games do exist, but it's like it's like an on rails. Just look at all this cool stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's like well, it's a tech demo. Mm-hmm. Basically, makes sense. Uh, anyway, one final thing. There was a really small section in the wiki article that I thought was very funny. The wiki article was full of like um, typos. It was like like in, no, just like inconsistencies and typos and stuff. 
and it just caught me <laughs> off guard because I'd never seen that in a wiki before. You know, people talk about how like um, wiki is unreliable, and it's like, no, it's not. I've never seen like a a mistake in Mo- it. But most I've... of them are written by like scholars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one wasn't. I can say pretty <laughs> uh, uh, succinctly. Ooh. There's. I saw. I read a wiki article not too long ago, and I was like absolutely certain it was written by the people that was about. Oh, totally. I'm sure that happens for like smaller uh, things like, like that. Yeah, it was like an indie dev company. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to call them out, but uh, it was really funny. <laughs> anyway, there's a really small section in the wiki article that talks about a Roblox event that coincided with the film release. And I'm sure <laughs> yeah. there's plenty of stuff like this, you know, that happened all over. But for some reason, yeah, whoever wrote the wiki article was like, we got to talk about we got to talk about what they did with Roblox. They There was like... um. So what they did was they set up the the whole Easter egg hunt in a Roblox world, and then uh-huh. you would go through it, and the first person that won got this like cool new uh, like cosmetic thing that's like um, like wings, but the wings are the keys from the movie. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, major props to Roku uh, R zero C U on Roblox for being the first person to complete that. So I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion he wrote that segment of the of the thing because <laughs> why else would it be in there yeah <laughs> yeah but anyway props to roku good job uh yeah. i am envious maybe maybe what we want is just roblox maybe that's how oasis gets better it's just vr roblox i feel like i, feel like I would have liked roblox if i played it in vr yeah no just like at all <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean like like I... as a kid i just is that another subscription one i think so no, it's probably you know? free. Otherwise, not as many kids would have it. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I remember when I first got Minecraft, and I was just like, "Oh, this is the this is the final game. There will be no <laughs> other games after this because I can do whatever I want." Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame we couldn't make uh, Oasis a better game, but maybe it was always meant to just suck be shit. Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that niche is already filled with you mm. know real life. How was how was Ernest supposed to know that he was just making worse <laughs> Minecraft? I don't know. Folks, I think that's the show. So if you want to reach out to us, uh, our email is developmentheaven at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, and if you like the show, let us know. You can do that via Twitter at devhevpod. Also linked down below is our um, Discord where we're very active. Uh, you know, come and hang out with us. Uh, send us some show ideas. Um, you might get your, your name in the show. So, Glenn, thank you for the intro music. The song is called Bird. It's on SoundCloud. Uh, that's linked below. Also linked are Matthew Any and Natalie Quick. Matthew did some of our various logos, and Natalie did some great work on our cover. So thank you to them, and thank you to you for listening. Leave a review. Um, we are... Uh, we're everywhere, baby. All around. Yeah, we're, we're all over the place. You can't get away from us. So why try? <laughs> you like that? Is that uh, a good? Is that a good? Uh... Yeah, that was alright. Alright. We still don't have a closer, like a like a real, you know, the thing you say at the end of every episode. Why don't we just end every every episode with a big smack, like? <laughs>